You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 410, the latest on Julia and Rylan, Elton John and Rocketman, Lazy Linguistics, Are You Guilty? and Bob Dylan, Is He Really All That? It's all coming up right after the lilac time and return to yesterday. The day before the day before yesterday
a mini hit, what they call in America a radio hit, from a band that recorded a series of excellent albums and singles. This one from 1988 and from their first album, The Lilac Time and Return to Yesterday. One of Britain's forgotten treasures, The Lilac Time, I think. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 410. I'm Terence Stackham, and, well, now, a couple of weeks ago, I would not really have believed I would be saying this, but here's the Queen of Saturday Afternoons on BBC Radio 2. It's Juliet Harris. <laughs> I think this has overstated my contributions uh, uh, somewhat, but thank you very much indeed for your characteristic other enthusiasm. I very much appreciate it. I'm literally phoning it in this week, guys, so you hello. Are. You are indeed there. I actually, after hearing you on your first week on uh, Ryland's show on Radio 2, I was quietly confident that you would overcome last week's challenger, which was Hannah from Suffolk. And of course, you were then very gracious in victory. So now you go on for your third week as reigning champion on Ryland's Couch Potato Quiz on Radio 2. And we'll give more details of where you can hear this later. But this week, I got about two questions right from the 20 that you and Hannah <laughs> faced. But each week, Jules, I am warming more and more um, to Ryland Clark-Neal who hosts the show. He seems to be such a pleasant and kindly presenter and we need more of that in the world, I think. I couldn't agree more. He just he just seems to be having a really great time and, and because he has a great time, you have a great time when you listen. I have to say, I love the fact that I didn't hear the first hour of his show, unfortunately, but he dedica- he'd been to see the Spice Girls the previous night, and instead of just, you know, giving a few sort of bland words about how much he'd enjoyed it, he basically sort of strong-armed the producer into giving him the first hour of the show was almost entirely Spice Girls, apparently, wall-to-wall, and uh, he was informed by <laughs> um, he was informed by the producer they would not be doing that again, and he said at the end of the programme, there might be less Spice Girls next week, and there was <laughs> a pause and then he said oh producer Simon says significantly less Spice Girls so I like the idea of this kind of on running battle between Ryland and his producer Simon who also seems incredibly pleasant by the way in my dealings with him and it just it's just a really kind of like you say in a world that's increasingly downbeat and mm. difficult it's just a, a really fun three hours really and also shout out to Lisa Tarbuck who or Lisa Tarbuck to give her a, connect, a correct pronunciation mm. who's on after him who's also incredibly sort of kind and good natured and generous and in insists that people uh, send in their sort of what are they doing all that sort of thing and she makes people be as effusive as possible so for example an early sort of listener wrote in and said that they were with their husband Martin and she said you haven't told me if he's gorgeous or not you have to be effusive and it's just you know I just think it's a really sort of sunny escapism nice time the music is upbeat I loved the new Roisin Murphy track that, out, that uh, Ryland played and he was absolutely spot on when he said that she is the original Lady Gaga I thought mm. he was I thought he was really interesting on that so now I'm having a lovely time it's still one of the scariest things I've ever done <laughs> um, it's alright once you once you get into the questions but um, I did slightly feel for Hannah from Ipswich I must admit I did do reasonably on her questions but I think I don't know I think she I think it's 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 scary when you go mm. on and you do it and I'd done it before of course so I was sort of used to it and it is it is frightening so i can understand why it might get a bit overwhelming and her questions were reasonably difficult i think as well but um but i'm looking forward to to this coming saturday to see i've done the two things i wanted to do which was to win and then to successfully defend my title so uh, so if anything else happens well as as football cliche managers say it's just a bonus and we'll give you a reminder a bit later towards the end of the podcast where you, where you can um, hear Julia on, on Radio 2. If you haven't had enough of me after 45 <laughs> minutes of this podcast, by yeah. all means, listen to me elsewhere. 
We'd like to be first uh, here with the latest arts and media stories. So now we're going to review a movie that was released, oh, over a month ago. Um, I'm calling <laughs> That's it... pretty on the pulse for us. I'm, yeah, I'm calling it... The... You criticise it. That's quite quick in my world. <laughs> I'm calling it the late, late, late... Late review. Um, it's all my fault for not um, getting to see, until this week, Elton John's biographical, uh, autobiographical movie, Rocket Man. Uh, this is, the movie's been in development since 2001. That uh, really is development hell, isn't it? It really Nearly is. 20 years, yeah. Jules, was it worth the wait? Well, for, you see, I wasn't, I have to be honest and say, I wasn't waiting. I just was aware that this film <laughs> came out. And then I went and saw it because my friends went to see it on a Sunday night and said, did I want to come? And I wasn't doing anything. I really like the music of Elton John. And he's a bit like sort of Kate Bush or one of these almost what you would call heritage acts, really. Mm. In that I've always sort of liked and respected them, but I've liked them more and more the older that I've got, really. And and I think that Elton John has got the most stunning back catalogue. So I thought I'd go and see it with my friends. And I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think this is probably going to be key to our discussion because I accepted it for what it was, which was an official biopic, which means that you're never going to get all of the kind of dirt or perhaps the lack of self perhaps the self-reflection um, or rather, you know, you, 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 full, you cop the full force of the lack of self-reflection if someone writes their own story. Whereas if there's someone else writing your story, that gives you a kind of a, a level of detachment, I think so i was always aware that it was going to be you know a little bit of a whitewash and it was sort of billed as my friend built it as a musical so i thought well i'll go expecting a bit of fun and for me it was a great deal of fun it had a great performance from taron edgerton as, as as elton john i thought he really captured him i want all of those clothes and i want them now terence I, <laughs> I thought they were amazing i would totally dress like elton john all of the time frankly they were so good and I, and I love the music because Elton John's music is fantastic. So once, I mean, it was a bit like La La Land for me. And I thought yes. the opening number was a bit much. Yes. And once I'd, once I'd kind of got my sea legs and kind of acclimatised <laughs> to it, I, I actually enjoyed it very much. But unfortunately, early communication suggests that you might have a different view to me, Terence. Uh, yes, I'm beginning to think I took the wrong approach listening to you there because I didn't like the movie much at all. I felt the lofty hand of David Furnish and Elton mm. using the film to settle old school scores um just a couple of examples um dick james the publisher he's portrayed as this sort of snarling swearing aggressive bloke i met him several times um in the 1970s i was very young i was just mm, starting I was off if you knew him actually i suspect you might I'd say i knew him but i met him because i was just starting off i was working at charisma records mm. and um you know there used to be occasional you know going to each other's offices and agencies and so on and mm. um I, I was sent to his offices a few times on various errands and things and um, he was the complete opposite. He was charming, old school, polite, well spoken. I remember being in a in a meeting with him, and just you know, a thoroughly professional, not sweary person at all. In fact, the complete opposite, as I say. Of, mm. of a, now, then we get to Elton's mother, who is destroyed in the film, and again, mm. to the best of my knowledge, she wasn't anything like the awful person portrayed in the film though tellingly she didn't get on with david furnish and i think that's mm. the key to it it is well made very well directed by dexter fletcher the sound is very good the cgi is superb yeah it's great i didn't like the peculiar style of having characters in the movie which you as funny you say that it really made me think of la la land where the characters start singing lines from Elton's songs, which made it all seem a bit kind of, hey, let's do the show right here, boys mm. and girls. Um, the chronolo chronology was all over the place. Yes, it and was. <laughs> I just think 
there will be several people who were part of Elton's life that would feel either shortchanged or misrepresented. Yes, OK, fair enough. Well, of course, I, I don't really know. Coming, uh, being a sort of little bit younger than you, shall we say, I, I don't have that kind of background mm. history to it particularly. So I do, I just went expecting, a, wanting a good time and getting one by and large. So so one thing I did note is that I am... Um, the bit where they he tries to work out his name it was it was when he's in oh, the yeah. office and they say what's your name Elton and they say what's your surname in the film much is made and I don't think this is too much of a spoiler of him mm. looking at a picture of the Beatles and saying John unfortunately that's completely made up because it was the John was taken from Long John Baldry oh, which indeed. I d- uh, googled afterwards mm. and was disappointed so you might feel that is sort of symptomatic of the film generally yes I, yes, I do Sunday evening at the cinema but, uh, yeah. but yes I think Not if, you, its limitations. if you're willing to accept that this is a portrayal of Elton through a very narrow lens and you're happy with some adjustments to reality, then you might enjoy this movie very much. Yeah. Yes, I'm, I, you know, I'm obviously less discerning than you. Is <laughs> Coming next, like kind of, sort of, the mangling of the English language. We all do it. That's next right after Elton and Kiki.
Well, I have to say, one of my favourite bits of the uh, of the film was um, was the uh, whoever it was that played Kiki D had a very small cameo role, but she she made the most of it. She really did. I thought she was very entertaining. She was very funny. Um, I love this song. It's I played at a, a, someone's a, a friend of mine's daughter's thirtieth birthday party last weekend, and I was asked to do a sort of DJ set for it and I am doing a lot of disco at the moment and Don't Go Breaking My Heart by Elton John and Kiki D always goes down well people are always happy to hear it and uh, later on in the evening uh, the, the birthday girl asked if I had any Elton John and I said to her do you mind if I play this again and funnily enough it was quite a different crowd by that point because some people had gone and it was much later and it was very much embraced it's always a big sing-along so I think it's such a, a playful duet I really, I really like it and also the strings halfway through always stir my heart I must admit I think it's just a, a beautifully made piece of pop yes it owes a lot of its success I think you're spot on um, Gus Dudgeon's uh, masterly production the strings as you say the orchestrations and brilliant spirited uh, Motowny percussion by Roger yeah. Pope and Ray Cooper yeah it's ter- a terrific record it, will, it, will sta- it, ha- it has and will stand the test of time I'm sure number one all around the world of course in 1976 for, literally from Australia to Zimbabwe it was number one um just to those to show that the good boy does occasionally uh, unite in good taste, doesn't it, really? Yes, yes. Maybe if nothing else, music brings us together, I suppose. Um, so, totally, at this moment in time, at the end of the day, let's look at Lazy Linguistics. This week, mm. the, the splendid Giles Brandreth, mm. uh, well-known over here in the UK as a, as a writer, commentator, former MP, posted a member of parliament, posted a piece on his blog. Uh, they may be out of fashion, but I remain rather fond of blogs. Um, mm. <laughs> in, mm. in which, which I do, actually. Yeah, yeah, I love reading people's blogs. Um, and in this piece, uh, Giles declares his uh, weariness, I suppose, at hearing mm. words and phrases that have become all too regular a part of our lives, and they're nearly all unnecessary and rather jarring as well mm. as the verbal ticks of so at the beginning of sentences and mm, that's like very fashionable at the <laughs> it really is um i, I notice we we just here uh, we're recording this where there have been um debates amongst politicians uh to try and yes. become head of the conservative party and thus our new prime minister mm. and uh, rory stewart one of the uh, protagonists trying to convince uh, everybody began almost every one of his answers with so, and I felt like yes. throwing a cushion at the television. So <laughs> Giles um, Brandreth, he offers us a comprehensive list of irritating words and phrases. Of course, you and I, Jules, we never fall into such traps. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So we never, ever do. I mean, I could almost do it, but it's so irritating, isn't mm. it? I do find myself doing it occasionally. Mm. I think the problem is, is that I find some of those words to be useful fillers to buy mm. myself thinking time, and I suspect that might might have been what Rory Stewart was doing as well and the problem is is that when it goes beyond the odd sort of tick here or there to buy you time and becomes the entire construction of your language so (laughs) teenagers using the word like every other word as that becomes very um, very (laughs) frustrating I think so I find myself trying to avoid cliches but it is it is so easy just to use these kind of the, the like I said these sort of fillers to buy yourself a few seconds particularly if someone asks me a question I often find myself if I have to particularly if I have to explain things like laws in a in a context at work I find myself beginning sentences with clients saying so the thing is and I think oh man I did not mm. need to say those six words but I did because it has helped me order in my mind within that six seconds what I'm going to say 
their necks. So I think to some extent it's explainable in that sometimes it's fillers. But equally, sometimes I, I do it when I'm tired as well. When I can't think mm. of anything particularly useful to say, it's always nice to have, particularly if you're a football fan as well, you've always got that life of kind of football cliches to fall back <laughs> on, haven't you, at the end of the day, etc., etc. I am... Um, I try not to judge people for it now because having occasionally slipped into it myself, I do I do see the utility of it sometimes, particularly if it comes to uh, to giving yourself a bit of room in which to then actually say something profound. But of course, if you do it every sentence like Rory Stewart did, it just becomes a distraction. Like the, to, fun enough to use the political spin kind of doctrine, you shouldn't ever let it become the story. You shouldn't let it mm. become the main crux of what you're saying, really. Similarly, I try not to use the kinder and sort of words as punctuation. I rather fear they do crop up. Mm. Very similar to you in my vocabulary when my brain gets a bit lazy and it doesn't put some work in, particularly if I'm distracted. I can't yes. do two things at once. So if I'm trying to do something else while I'm talking, I can kind of sort of get stuck into that rabbit <laughs> hole. Um, there's some terrific examples, though, given by Giles Brandreth that had mm. me nodding in agreement. Um, yes. Going into a shop or restaurant, stand at a counter and be greeted someone and this actually happened to me today I went to the to- a Toyota garage near to where I live just get yeah. some minor work on the car and the chap greeted me with are you alright there and I said no <laughs> I said no no I'm not and he, he, he looked stunned because I think most people say oh yes well what it is is about a, I just went no no I'm not um, it, it, because it man- wait, are you alright there manages to be both patronising and aggravating at the same time it, 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 that's, it, it, it puts in a lot of air miles that phrase doesn't mm. it in that respect yes it is it is very um, yeah it is very irritating if, if you if particularly in a service contest like you say are you alright there no, my car is not working properly. This is why I'm here. Or, you know, for example, if someone said it in a doctor's surgery, no, I'm not all right. I'm here exactly. for an appointment. Yes, it is. It does sort of um, like the phrase cheer up. It might never happen, to which I always feel like saying, well, perhaps the reason why I look sad is that maybe it already has, really. You know what I mean? It's I got do. that, like you say, it has that aggravating factor to it. And then when anyone says, no offence, but you know oh, they're going to say no. something offensive. It's in the same category as someone starting a sentence with, I'm not a racist, but... Exactly, and then it goes on to be really racist. It, it almost disqualifies the sentence. It's a sort of a disqualifier already, isn't it, really? It is. I, mean, I, I think it's quite revealing um, that if we see or hear um, on TV or radio interviews with people on the street or perhaps school children, um, as we, we were just saying, in the 1950s, it's astonishing how well-spoken most people yes. were. I'm not sure exactly what's happened. A drop in standards, or in more modern times, the pace of life speeding up with mm. such velocity that we just don't give time to our words any longer. Or, or perhaps as well, uh, uh, we have far more inf- cultural influences over over us, us than we did previously. Everything in Britain was RP on the light programme, wasn't mm. it, until the 1950s, mm. whereas the advent of television and then the internet means that you know we we have far more access to things like you know sort of american television i was always interested when i i had an an ex-girlfriend who was irish and she used to occasionally have american inflections to her accent and when i sort of spoke to her about you know sort of what they were watching when when she grew up ireland being as it is situated in the middle of britain and sort of between the the united kingdom mainland and uh and and america Mm. they almost watched as much television from America as they did from Britain so that really kind of 
they've influenced her accent. And I think the um, the Australian soaps are always blamed in the 80s and the 90s for uh, people suddenly going up at the end of their sentences because that's what the New Zealanders and the Australians did, as if everything was a question. And so that everyone's sentences went up at the end like that, and it is so irritating. And that, that's what the Australian soaps are blamed for anyway. So I don't know if... If Britain was a far, far more of a monoculture, I think, in the 40s and the 50s, and it really isn't now. And in some, some ways that's to be applauded, but like you, I do I do endlessly get tired with people trying... I feel like people are trying to hide things from me in that kind of language. Mm-hmm. So whenever a politician says, now, I want to be clear about this, you just know mm-hmm. you're going to get the same old sort of, you know, obstreperous rubbish that, that kind of... that follows... I, I, yeah, like you, I... I I don't want to kind of say everything was better in the olden days, but there are times when I do sort of yearn for, you know, people speaking properly. (laughs) I too have immersed myself so much in American culture, both by being over there and Mm. by watching so much American TV. Which is is a fair excuse in my view. I, I, I should be ashamed of this, but I have done that so much that I now routinely pronounce the letter Z as Z. In, oh, so, so from A God. to Z, and I know it, 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 it jars with me, but I say, and also um, it, it, the the word that we say over here for when you're travelling somewhere, you say, "What route are you going by?" I say, "Route," because that's what they say in America, oh, and they, they say, well, "What route are you taking?" I think, "Oh no, no, you're English." I don't. didn't realise you. I didn't realise you. You'd sort of gone that far. I've gone really, that far, they? Jules. I, I need help. If it makes you feel any better, though, regulars is that I'm a big fan of The Simpsons, and one of my mm. favourite Simpsons musical moments, of which there are many brilliant ones, is Planet of the Apes, the musical, which is called Stop the Planet of the Apes, I Want to Get On. And there is a song in it called Chimpanzee, Chimpanzee. So I hope that makes you feel a little bit better. It is reassuring that, that, that uh, to know that neither of us has ever or will ever fall into the trap of lazy linguistics, as I said at the beginning of this week, but... We're only the finest uh, observers of the English language here. Um, coming only up... the crumbliest places to places, <laughs> yes. Indeed, yes. Coming up, Bob Dylan. Is he really all that? Um, <laughs> th- that's right after. Well, it's kind of, sort of, Bob Dylan. <laughs> I laid on the dune I looked at the sky When the children were babies I played on the beach you came up behind me, I saw you go by You were always so close, and still within reach Sarah, Sarah, whatever made you want to change your mind Sarah, Sarah, so easy to look at, so hard to define Still see them playing with their pails in the sand They run to the water, their buckets to fill I can still see the shells falling out of their hands As they follow each other back up the hill Sarah, oh Sarah Sweet virgin angel, sweet love of my life Sleeping in the woods by a fire in the night Drinking white rum in a Portugal bar Them playing leapfrog and hearing about Snow White You 
the marketplace in Savannah, Lamar. Sarah, Sarah, it's all so clear. I could never forget. Sarah, oh Sarah, loving you is the one thing I'll never regret. Still hear the sounds of those Methodist bells. I'd taken the cure and it just got me through. Staying up for days in the Chelsea Hotel, writing sad eyed lady of the lowlands for you. Sarah, oh Sarah, wherever we travel, we'll never apart. To my heart How did I meet you? I don't know A messenger sent me In a tropical storm You were there in the winter Moonlight on the snow And on Lily Pond Lane When the weather was warm Dress. Sarah, oh Sarah, you must forgive me my unworthiness. Now the beach is deserted, except for some kelp and a piece of an old ship that lies on the shore. You always responded when I needed your help. You gave me a map and a key to your door. Sarah, oh Sarah, glamorous nymph with an arrow and bow. Sarah, oh Sarah, don't ever leave me, don't ever go. I only own one Bob Dylan album, and that's a track from it. Uh, mm. The album was recorded in the late 1975, included many of the musicians from the then-contemporary Rolling Thunder Review, of which more in a moment. The mm. album is called Desire, and from it, a track about his first wife, Bob Dylan and Sarah. I quite like that. You see, mm. like you, I only have one Bob Dylan album, but it's not that Bob Dylan album. I've got Highway 61 Revisited, which I enjoy very much. So it's nice to, perhaps we'll go on to speak about mm. this, but it's nice to know that, that he's got such a big back catalogue that everyone can have their one Bob Dylan album, <laughs> possibly everyone in the world, and it could be, it could be a different album for each person. I do realise uh, the absurdity of saying this, but Bob Dylan rather... It, 
passed me by. I was perhaps too young to appreciate the impact he had in the early 60s, and then mm. I got so caught up by the Beatles and Beach Boys and Motown and Psychedelia. Psychedelia. I mean, there was a lot going on in the 60s, there was. in your defence. Bob Dylan, I just didn't listen very much. But then this week, I watched Martin Scorsese's Rolling Thunder review movie, which has mm. just had its debut on Netflix, and I absolutely loved it. It has genuinely propelled me into wanting to explore back and make up for lost time, really, in my appalling gap of Dylan music and knowledge i'll say a little bit more about the netflix movie in a bit but jules how about you bob dylan is he all that well it's interesting you should say that i was never really into him Mm. very much and i have to say my own reasons as a sort of youngish woman for not being into bob dylan is that men of a certain age are just so tedious about him that it's Mm. always put me off i've always referred to it as church of bob and (laughs) church of bob has always somewhat put me off i just i just find men rhapsodizing over him to just be so tedious i'm sorry if you're my friend and you're listening to this and you're a man and you like bob dylan but i just that's always put me off a bit it probably shouldn't have done but it always has but like you i i got very raptured by martin scorsese documentary he made one about bob dylan years ago and by years ago i think mid 2000s possibly when i was at law college which dates it to about 2005 2006 called no direction home oh right and that was magnificent and i really enjoyed it and as a result of which a year or two i sort of put him on a sort of back of my mind in my in my head and then and then a bit later on i i moved into a house share and my friend's boyfriend at the time he was living with us who's a, an excellent person used to lend me lots of his cds not in a kind of but you should listen this tight way but he did say to me if there's ever anything that you want to borrow that you think looks interesting just borrow it and make a copy of it and give it back to me so that's how I discovered things like Fairport Convention and I borrowed Highway 61 revisited from him my gateway into Bob Dylan has really been other people's covers of Bob Dylan and PJ Harvey had a go at Highway 61 revisited on um, on the album Rid of Me and was performed it live when she did a couple of shows at Brixton Academy in 2016 around Halloween not the night that we went which is Murphy's Law but the, the night before she did a cover of it and did an excellently kind of propulsive version of it and all of that kind of led me towards thinking oh well I like his songs so maybe I will like this album and I liked it very much he's not someone who I think he's someone I don't want to say over celebrated because we'll probably get hate mail but he's (laughs) someone who and this is probably more the problem with the magazine rather than the culture generally but I do get a bit bored with you know magazines like Mojo music magazines which I otherwise enjoy the reviews in I think they're really good you know constantly cycling between Bob Dylan Led Zeppelin the Beatles it was particularly infuriating (laughs) I think it was I can't remember which one it was but one of Mojo and Uncut decided the best way to commemorate Prince's death was by having a large picture of Bob Dylan on their front cover whereas Mm. the other one did have a genuinely lovely Prince tribute I think it was Uncut that did that cover and it was lovely so I do find it tedious the prominence to which Bob Dylan is given sometimes when as you say there are lots of other sort of big stuff that came from the 60s as well and I found his sort of acceptance speech or otherwise for the Nobel Prize to be rather ungracious Mm. and made him look rather childish having said that his theme time radio hour uh, radio show that he does which was sort of um, what's the word is it syncopated when they put it through syndicated syndicated. that's right Mm. yeah when they put it through different stations Mm. Um, that was on Six Music for quite a while and that was a genuine joy and I do try and check in with it because he would just including the title he would play 
songs on a certain theme every week. So he'd play songs about trains one week or, or songs about songs from France another week. And he was he was a really charming presenter. He was obviously a bit curmudgeonly, but I, I really rather enjoyed them. So I I I um, shy away a little bit from from holding up Bob Dylan as being some kind of saint, and I can't say that I'm that familiar with a lot of his body of work. But I think I have more more sort of time for Bob Dylan as a as a superb songwriter than I do necessarily as a performer or a personality. Although you have to admire his staying power. Yes, yeah, so latter day grouchy Bob, not not for me. And also, he ruined Live Aid, of course. But um, ten years before that, um, <laughs> well, he he, he really did. What you really think? It was it was abysmal. Um, ten years before that, the Rolling Thunder review movie is from uh, the mid seventies. It's mm. an absolute hoot, and that's apart from the great music that's featured. By the way, a superb cameo from Joni Mitchell in the Ooh, movie. Oh, I'm not. I, I would, mm. Now that's in love ah, by there itself. We are. To make me want to watch it, frankly. It really isn't giving anything away by saying, as it's been widely publicised, that the movie is a mixture of fact, fact and fiction. Now mm. that make 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 me. Some people might think, uh oh, but it's so gloriously done by Scorsese and his team that it really makes the two hours plus so absorbing. Well, that's that. I mean, I think that's got, it doesn't amuse it, but they're having just slagged off the Belton Job film for being, you know, fictional in places. You're happy for this. This works. Fiction. This works so well. <laughs> the music is absolutely wonderful. Um, but, they, you know, they, the difference being is that the Elton movie is being put uh, into the into the world as if it is based oh, rather on yeah. fact. This yeah. is very much so cleverly a mixture of fact and fiction. It's, it's Bob at his peak, in my view. I'm, I know many will disagree. Um, and there's so much to wonder at and in this kind of, this snapshot of life on the road in 75, 76. There's a, it's a very, this is, this, I think, tells us a lot. Uh, there's a throwaway line with regard to Mick Ronson, of all people, who is on stage every night with Dylan um, <laughs> throughout this very lengthy tour. He's on stage every night and he's asked what he thinks about Bob Dylan. And Mick Ronson replies that he doesn't really know as Dylan has never spoken a word to him. <laughs> on tour for a year. That's um, ridiculous. That is so dark. And what that leads leads me to is that Dylan is thirty four during the making of this movie. By the way, Joni is like thirty one, thirty two. But Dylan's thirty four is my age exactly. Incredible, so yeah. My age during this. Now during the making of movies, he's good looking. He's charismatic. And it's just so revealing to see just about everyone, men and women, falling all over him like Basil Fawlty meeting royalty. Um, mm. His voice is great, the songs are superb, and there is just such fun with the is it fact or is it fiction um, story arc. So I'm going to listen to to more Dylan for sure. Yeah, me too. And actually, one thing I would say that I, I did admire him for, and again, this was given, I watched, first saw the footage of this in No Direction Home, also by Scorsese, which is also worth checking out. I don't know if that's on Netflix, but it's worth trying to dig up because it is really good. Mm. Um, he uh, They, of course, showed the infamous um, Dylan going electric. Was it at the Free Trade Hall? Where was it? That he I, electric? Yeah, it was in England, certainly, but I yeah, can't remember where. Wherever, yeah. wherever it was, and I and I will always admire Bob Dylan's kind of, although aspects of his curmudgeonliness of his, as he's got old have got a bit wearing. I will always admire the uh, the reaction to which he 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 gave when one someone in the crowd shouted a Judas, mm. and he just turned around and said to the band, "Played effing loud." And, you know, <laughs> that is that, That's the way that to do days it. when I I just I, in in response to. Criticism. I just like to play it effing loud. So, uh, so fair play to Bob for that. 
Jules, there's a question I often ask you at this point in the podcast, mm. but this week we know there's one place where we can find you this week, and that's on Radio 2 with Ryland on Saturday. I mean, it is still hilarious, you know. Where can you find me this week? Oh, you know, on, oh, on, national, Radio on national Radio 2, as I've been putting on my Facebook statuses, or state I, as my friend would have it. Mm. Yes, that Radio 2, the actual Radio 2, as my, my partner was trying to explain to her neighbour, not some other Radio mm. 2, you know, the one that everyone listens to. So, so yeah, I'll be... Uh, possibly every appearance could be my final appearance, so there is a kind of element of, of danger There's about... There's jeopardy this, involved, isn't there? There is. If not, do not to be confused with the popular quiz show in America. Mm. Jeopardy, but yes, I will be on on this quiz thing about sort of quarter past four onwards is usually when they do it on Saturday afternoon on Radio Two. But it's very much worth listening to Ryden's whole show because it's a, a great deal of fun. Very good, yeah. He is he is a fun personality, and uh, and and the music is often quite quite good quality, sort of up uplifting pop. So I, I would recommend that if you would like to see me later on that evening, and I don't quite know how I'm going to do this. I think I'm just going to go down the sugary drink route that I always do. <laughs> I'm at Hastings Printworks DJing on Saturday. Saturday evening, this coming Saturday, and that will be from ten o'clock in the evening until two o'clock the next morning. So, uh, so one for the night hours, shall we say? Next week, we hope to have you back in the studio rather than on a on a telephone line. Well, yes, I think that's that's the the goal for us all, isn't it? Really. Thanks very much for listening, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. It's great to have you here. Yes, um, agreed. Thanks to Hilly and Rona. Always. Jules, fitting rather that we end with the with the national anthem. Yes, indeed. Although with a twist, as mm. people are fond of saying. I, I heard this earlier this week and I instantly fell in love with this. I don't find it to be disrespectful. I find it to be genuinely sort of fizzy fun. There is a, a TV programme coming to Channel 4, which we may hopefully try and talk about in the coming weeks, called um, Drag SOS, I believe, which is sort of, if you're familiar, listeners, with a, something called Queer Eye, which started off life as Queer Eye for the straight guy in the 2000s, is now just known as Queer Eye. Um, it features the self-styled Fabulous Five, who are five gay chaps who who basically style give a sort of makeover not just not just sort of fashion and style but sort of life in general to to a sort of man that needs some help and now they're sort of doing sort of other people as well in the most recent series and this is similar it's sort of like a cross between rupaul's drag race and queer eye the <laughs> five drag queens invade somebody's life and help them with sort of confident issues whilst also giving them a drag makeover and channel four produced an excellent um trailer for this and uh, this song featured prominently um actually i am um, obviously i don't know the queen personally who knows if the radio two thing continues maybe i might but um Indeed. but i am um, uh, although I've, I've sort of I've, I've mutated into a reluctant royalist by expediency of Brexit, really, I'm just glad that there's something else in the background to give us some stability. But um, but when I have watched the Queen's speech, the ones that I've always enjoyed the most, there have been a few that have talked really about diversity mm. and about the importance of kind of multiculturalism, and I really admire that. So I hope that the Queen might see the funny side of this and see that there is, you know, it is the uh, the cellar the celebration of diversity. Um, and the the rhyming of uh, prejudice with um, with makeup tricks is particularly enjoyable, I think, halfway through. And also the funky breakdown, sort of you know, a couple of minutes in. I really hope someone gets hold of this properly and does a proper full-on banging remix because I would love to hear a five-minute transfer of this. I think it's great. Uh, this is David Etherington, and this is God Save All Queens. God save all gracious queens.
have been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>